This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. Good afternoon, everyone. Wow, April already? David, can you just believe it? Spring is in the air. Sunny uh, here on Kenmount Road right now. We do have weather coming in, though, which is synonymous, I guess, with spring in Newfoundland and Labrador. But uh, spring is in the air, and it's a time when things really start to ramp up here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, The fishery is preparing to get underway. Farmers are getting ready for the growing season. Polar bears are starting to drift down from up north. Uh, Forest access roads are closed during the spring runoff and officials are getting ready for the fire season. Would you believe all of that falls under one single portfolio? (laughs) Well, my guest today is the minister responsible for the Department of Fisheries, Forestry and Agriculture, Derek Bragg. Hello. Hi, how you doing? Thanks for having me on this afternoon. And this is your, your and my first time chatting. Hello. Absolutely my first time, and we couldn't pick a better day to deal with the first day of April. There you go. <laughs> I don't know what that means exactly, what you're trying to suggest. Well, normally April Fool, people on April Fool but, uh, in the morning, but I tell you, this is my first time being on, and I know we're looking forward to the next hour, so I'm like, okay, what have I, I signed myself up for today? So I'm ready for it. Uh, more, more, more guts than brains, to borrow a phrase. Yeah, well, you know what? I actually thought I said that under my breath. <laughs> I up there, under between two and three hundred people, I'm like, no good can come from this. So that's what came out of me, and I, and I guess that's what everybody, the cameras were there, so they caught the phrase. <laughs> so you must have been cringing a bit then to hear our news that day, <laughs> repeating that over and over and over again. Um, <laughs> but you've got a pretty big portfolio, and I just you know outlined some of the things that you're responsible for. How do you familiarize yourself with all of that? I got to be honest with you. My wife asked me the same question. She said, Derek, how do you turn it on and off so fast? It's, it's, I can tell you, we got a great team. I mean, uh, I have, I think it's four ADMs and the DM and, and staff besides that. And you couldn't ask for better people to keep you informed. And, and uh, so I'm, I'm very thankful for that. And, I'm, and I guess I'm a visual learner. So for the last 12 months, for this department, I think I took part in every aspect of it. Like um, right now, moose license. You've forgotten the moose licenses. You know, that's almost the number one thing right now, getting that filled out. So uh, so I take part in everything. So I've spent a full, almost a year to the day since I've been sworn in. I've been in fish plants. I mean, I've been in farmer's fields. I, I planted crops. I've been out for a jig. I've done all the things that's, that's related to this department. But it's an exciting department, and I like to say it's a department, probably the one of the better departments, because everything that we do, we grow it, uh, you know, we grow it, and then we harvest it, and we feed people. So, like, you couldn't ask for a better department, to be honest. And arguably, it, it impacts just about every aspect of all of our lives. Oh, my God, yes. I mean, it's amazing that our farmers get to every kitchen table. And, and the one thing I learned, Linda, that really stuck with me, we produce over 11 million dozen eggs a year. Like, I can't say that enough because that just blows me away for 500,000 people, 11 million dozen eggs. 
We like our legs, <laughs> eggs, apparently. We like our eggs. We're big breakfast people, I think. <laughs> well, I want to get into all of those different aspects. But, uh, I mean, because this is your and my first time chatting, and people are starting to notice you now, whether or not it's your commentary during a protest or not. But uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, how did you get involved in politics to begin with? What's your background? So my background, I worked with the town of Greenspan for about 30 years. I think it was like six months after 30 years. I started out, uh, I guess, my brother and I went fishing when I finished grade, I think probably grade 10. He was older than me. We went fishing one summer, tried it the next summer. And then I went off to trade school, did power engineering. In the early 80s, not a lot of jobs uh, for power engineers because you had all the baby, baby boomers were in their prime. A uh, job came up for the town. And, and I like to say $6.32 took me out of the fishery because we probably would have been fishing today, my brother and I. And uh, But I got a job with the town council. I got a job in the town office. And from there, 30 years later, I find myself sitting in this position. And i got to be honest, there's days, because I'm in Greenspan now looking across Bonavista Bay, there's days I'm going to pinch myself and say, how did I get here? How did this all come together? Because the fisheries minister, outside of everything else, is one of the bigger portfolios that's all he recognized. And I basically spent 12 months with my head down working to get more familiar with this and money I guess is I'm on everybody's I'm on everybody's uh, TV so it was a bit of a eye-opener for me on money I would think. So yeah I was going to say you must shake your head at sometimes you know uh, given that you know you worked so long with the town council you probably would have had a happy retirement but now you're facing us into it on another side of things starting out with the fishery and now responsible for the fishery. Yeah. Well, the good thing about the fishery, though, and they've grown up in a fishing community. All my friends are fishermen. And all, like, the people, I can think back, and I know one of the fishermen said to me, nothing has changed in 40 years. And I said, I disagree, because there was not the place to get into an argument or, a, I guess, a, a debate at that point. But uh, I look back here, and 40 years ago, people were fishing in small wooden boats. And today, a big big uh, fiberglass boat, aluminum boat is the order of the day, crab quotas. Crab was a species, which we all talk about now. Forty years ago, fishermen would stamp on a crab to get it in their gill net. It was a torment. But today is the mainstay of our fishery. I mean, yesterday the quota was announced. 32% increase overall, some 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 reductions on the Labrador coast, which are devastating for these fishers. But, I mean, living here, I, I like to think I have my finger on the pulse. And after, I, when I got home on, on Monday, I just went up to one of my friends and I sat down and I said, uh, you know, we need to have a talk about the fishery. Am, am, I, am I at this wrong or right? He said, he, he called me Dick. He said, no, Dick, boy, you got a good understanding for this. He said, you're doing all right. So I thought that was pretty good. Like, and he, he's a down-to-earth guy that lives here in town, and I have a lot of respect for, for my friends who are fishing. So you did get a bit of attention uh, following that demonstration, uh, and you got a lot of people talking about how the, the fact that you didn't turn tail and run. Uh, I think people have this perception of politicians trying to duck out of heated situations, but you stood your ground, and you, you, you were face-to-face with people who were pretty angry and trying to get their points across. Are you used to keeping a cool head in those kinds of circumstances? 
Well, I like to think for 30 years working with the town, I used to consider it sometimes to, to working for the UN, and, and people would laugh at that because when I went to work for the town of Greenspan, there was no water and sewer. So you had about 500 residents, and we started putting in water and sewer because it was shortly after the causeway came. I mean, a argument. My brother used to say, Derek, do you have to argue with people every day? I said, no, I just need to inform people every day. So I guess, you know, it's just something that you build yourself into. I, I can't lie to you. It was not the best experience you could have in your life to stand up in front of 200 or 300 angry people. But if you all are cool and you listen to the people, you know, you probably walk away from it. And, and I'm like, Sunday I dealt with, like, should I go in? And I said, if I don't go in, I will be known as the person who would not show up. But I was down in the crowd. I was walking. I was chatting with the Fisher people down in the crowd while people were talking. And you had to, there had to be something in you at the time that said, this is the right thing to do, but were you scared at all? <laughs> well, it would be crazy to say I was scared, but I didn't think anybody was going to actually. I know one gentleman wanted to grab a flagpole down my throat, but I didn't really take that as a serious threat. And I know, because I understand when people are, are upset, they say some horrible things. There's no doubt about that. And I'm sure that gentleman regrets being filmed doing that sort of thing. So if you all your cool and listen and talk to people, you know, cooler aids prevail. So, you know, the portfolio that you have with fisheries, and it's a big one in and of itself, uh, but there's a lot of over that overlap there with the federal um, department, of course. Um, and the, the protest that you uh, attended on Monday was directly related to the fish price setting panel. So w what concerns have been addressed there in terms of what was raised during that protest? So during the protests, and as we speak right now, negotiations are ongoing to, to settle the uh, the price. I know there's two prices submitted, and, and when I went to try to explain, said that's not in my department, people said, like, oh, you're trying to get away from it. I'm not getting trying to get away from it. I'm just trying to state that in Minister Davis's shop, they do the negotiations for the price of fish. Now, everything is going to fall back on the shoulders of the fisheries minister because everybody associates it, everything with the fishery with this department. Department, so I understand that. But negotiations are ongoing. To be honest, I had hoped, I had prayed that the price would have been there so we could talk about the price today before, you know, but it's just not announced yet, not that I'm aware of anyway. And I want to talk to you a little bit more about some of the responsibilities you have within the uh, Department of Fisheries and Forestry and Agriculture when we come back after the break. My guest today is the Minister Responsible for All Three, Derek Bragg. We'll be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. And my guest today is Minister of Fisheries, Forestry and Agriculture, Derek Bragg, sitting down in Greens Pond looking out across Bonavista Bay. Much ice out there? There's not a not a piece of ice to be seen. I got to be honest. There's not even any batty carters. <laughs> I'm not sure you're familiar with that, but that would be ice frozen to the rocks or the the seashore. There's no batty carters. We had a whisper of snow, but uh, what a beautiful day on the ocean. Well, that's great to hear. Uh, what does the fishery look like this year? The fishery for the crab fishery, the, the quality increase is no doubt good. It's, it's good for most of the province, as I said earlier. On the Labrador coast, we're seeing a 28% reduction in one area and just holding the line in the other area. But I think a 30% or 32% overall increase is definitely going to make for a good summer this year. And have you been surprised with some of the quota cuts announced in recent days? 
Uh, yes, I got to tell you the truth. The earring and mackerel stock took me off, off uh, took me by surprise. I mean, uh, usually this time of the year, if you look out around around the shore, you would see earring that's out because people getting ready to go out to lobster fishery. So I know that's going to be a big concern. So that did take me by a little bit of surprise for sure. So what kind of in- impact is that going to have? Because that's you know a bait fishery. I mean, where f- are fish harvesters going to get their bait? That's a great question, and and I know there was lots of squid last fall, so I don't know how much squid is in in storage, and I really don't know if squid is a good good bait. I know it's good for crab, but I don't know if it's a good bait for lobster. But I I've, I've got to reach out to some of the fishermen, most particularly on the south coast and the west coast, and and see see what they're like. You need a plan now for for bait for sure, right? For sure. I mean, in addition to everything else, the cost of fuel and other things, it's been quite a number of hard hits for the fishing industry. But do we have much of a commercial mackerel or herring fishery here, aside from bait? Well, usually the mackerel quota is cut on on the uh, on, uh, around uh, PEI and, and, and Quebec shores and that sort of thing. We don't use it use it because there's just one quota for Atlantic Canada, is my understanding, and it's basically has been cut before anybody gets a chance here in the province. I know there's been years in the past where there would be lots of mackerel. But I'm, I can speak like about Bonavista Bay. I haven't seen a mackerel breach in Bonavista Bay for years. Um, so the biggest impact, of course, is going to be on the bait fishery, like you say. So I, I suppose you'll have to be working with uh, harvesters, the department, and I guess the feds in trying to figure out where fishermen can go now. For sure, because of with herring being being a main bait for for lobsters. I mean, this like we don't need to destroy a fishery because another fishery is down. We need we need a I guess a a resource now or something. Someone mentioned to me a redfish, but I know the redfish are really small right now. But uh, yeah, so I haven't had a chance. As you can imagine, this week's been terribly terribly busy. So I'm gonna reach out to some fishers on the south and west coast and have a conversation. Because so they look, you got to talk to the local people. They know the ocean and their area better than anyone, right? What kind of a working relationship do you have with the new Federal Fisheries Minister, Joyce Murray? Have you been in contact with her? Do you have regular contact with her? I've had, a t- I think, two, maybe three meetings with Minister Murray. I know when I was talking to our local MP, she was sitting right by him a couple of days ago, so we had a chat there. And uh, So it's not, it's not that I'd reach out to her every week, but it's more common that you and I have spoke, to be honest, Linda. But, I mean, I think it's three, three meetings we've had with her thus far. She caused a lot of concern here, as you know, with suggestions uh, indicating that she'd like to see more fish left in the water to help combat climate change. Were you speaking to her about that and get some clarity on that? Yes, I was, and then and by by I guess by our nature, she's an environmentalist, and so the environment is top for her. There's no doubt about that. But she also realized the balance. I actually had a conversation about her. She wanted to talk ecosystems. I talk about seals. I said, like we have not touched a seal on the north coast uh, on the North Atlantic for the last probably ten years. So the population has exploded, and we're doing nothing about it. So, I, and I don't know. Maybe that's some of the reason we're seeing cut. In, and on the uh, Labrador quota. And I don't know any of this for sure, but I know from time to time you would see a video where fishermen would, would, would open up the stomach of the seal and be all kinds of crab in it. And it, so you got to worry because you got like six to eight million seals. There hasn't even, hasn't even been a count in recent years. So we don't really don't know what we got what we got to deal with. And as the ice doesn't flow to the south, the seals are going to stay to the north. 
Well, indeed. And um, when we hear DFO scientists uh, talk about uh, fish stocks, they talk about removals and then they talk about, uh, you know, harvesting removals. So there's removals, I suppose that's predation, and the removals they over which they have control, which is the fishing. So it seems right. like the, the fishing side of things is always the one that gets somehow addressed. So what do we do about seals and seal predation? So as you know, the FFAW would have put out a video there about a month ago, and, and as I look out today, I mean, years ago I did go to the seal fishery, and it was only about 10 to 15 years ago, I guess, when, when the fishermen stopped going, that uh, I didn't go anymore. But uh, right now, I mean, we we got no choice. We have to deal with our seal population. Uh, we need to find a market. So uh, I was going to say the FFAW to put out the video. We need a solution. We all know the trouble that we got seals, but we need to find a market. With the U.K. and the United States, when they embargo against our seal products, it makes it difficult for us. But this is a big world and a small world at times, as we know right now. So we just need to find a market, and we need to find a time. The other issue we, we would have, Linda, every fisher in this community, as I look out the window today, are on their wharf. So they're getting ready to go fishing. And the seals would not open on probably like the 8th or the 10th of April before the beaters were, were in their prime. So by the 8th or 10th of April, we're not going to have any fishers to go at the seal fishery, even if we found the markets right now, because they, they would be at the crab fishery. There's an awful lot of overlap, as I've just said, with the federal government and their responsibilities, uh, primarily, I suppose, we're, we're dealing with the processing side of things. But um, what about some of the concerns that is being expressed now about science? Both the uh, Association of Seafood Producers, the FFAW, and others have talked about the fact that we haven't had this adequate science to really figure out what's going on with some of these key stocks. Have you had those conversations? Are you concerned about the level of science that's being conducted out there? Most certainly I am, and I had the conversation with the minister. Now, they have two vessels, but the vessels are delayed from being able to do any work. So it's been now a couple of years, basically, that they don't have great science. And they need to they need to invest in science. As a province, I mean, we can do our thing from our side of it and record the catches and, and, and the logs and all that sort of thing. But the federal government need to get out on the ocean. They need to do the science. And the most important science of all, in my opinion, is to talk to the local harvesters. They know, they've seen the cycles, they've seen where fish have been, which part of the bay the fish have been in, how the bait comes in. They need to get the local knowledge as well as what they would what they would take from the vessels. So they need to get out and talk to the fishers. Do you find knowing, um, you know, having friends and family who are uh, harvesters themselves, do you find that the phone does tend to ring a bit and saying, Derek, bye, are you going to do something about this? So I'd say this about my friends who are fishing. They are the most honest to me as you could ever be. I'm not, they don't shelter me. They'll tell me if I'm off course. And they'll tell me if it's on the right track. So I appreciate when they call me. And another thing, Linda, uh, there was an FFAW letter writing campaign uh, that started after the protest on Monday. I responded to everyone. I, had, I was much like them. I had one, because you had over 200 emails, um, just on fishing alone, so it was a bit overwhelming in 24 to 36 hours. 
So I responded. But the ones who came back to me, I said, give me your number. I'll give you a call. And the couple that did, I reached out to them, and they were they were very glad that I reached out. I talked to a fisher on the West Coast, and I talked to a fisher on the uh, on the Avalon Financial Aid Protector. And they were like, thank you so much. No ministers ever reached out to us like this before. I said, well, you probably never asked, but I said, I can't guarantee it every day. But if you want me, I said, I'll make every effort I can to have a conversation with you. Do you find that makes a difference? Well, you know, I think people think you're more real, to be honest. And and people look at me and they say, who's this politician? What does he know about the fishery? Although I haven't fished for about 40 years, i got to tell you, I grew up in a fishing community. I see it every day. I understand it. And I've listened to the stories. If you can imagine working in a town office, I mean, I can remember when I went to work back in 86. So this is how I will do it. So... The, the the money that people made then, and then the, the moratorium came on in the 90s. One of my friends, when he was getting 225 a week, he said, I'm $1,000 better off than the year before. And then I used to say, okay, so when we send out invoices for the town, Cape and Rao is good like mid-June to early July. I would wait and send out most invoices at that time because I knew how much money people were making. And, and you live here, so you didn't want to be arguing with the people every day. You knew when they were making their money. and But the last last eight, ten years, that's not been a thing because the, the fishers that I know have made a decent living. You'll never make enough, and we all know that, but they have made a decent living, there's no doubt. They would admit that. And, uh, of course, they're facing a lot of extra uh, costs these days as well. Um, and VOCM News will have more about that in the in the coming days. But uh, do you find that your, your time in uh, municipal politics has sort of prepared you for this one-on-one approach? I mean, you're probably used to picking up the phone and calling Mrs. Carter or Mr. White. I'm just grabbing a couple of names now from Greenspawn yeah, that I know off the top of my head. <laughs> do you find that, you know, you're, you're just, that's the way you've always operated? I think so. I think it's my ability just to reach out and sit down and talk to people. I mean, I don't. I have no no reservations at all. But walking on a wharf, I had no reservation of walking in a crowd. Uh, I mean, and just talking to people one on one. After the event the other day, when I left the microphone, I just walked back because I saw a small group of about fifteen or twenty people. So I wanted to be more personal and have more of a contact with them. And they were very understanding. I must say, it was great conversation. So I'm not going to deviate from that plan. That's what got me through so far and as long as I can return people's calls and talk to them that to me that would be doing my job as a politician. Now moose licenses you admitted right off the top of the show that that's one of the ones that's got everybody's turning up the radio. (laughs) That's the one that's preoccupied a lot of your time lately we're going to get into that right after the break my guest today on on target minister of fisheries forestry and agriculture Derek Bragg will be back right after this. Saturday morning join us for the Irish Newfoundland show send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. My guest today on On Target is the Minister of Fisheries, Forestry and Agriculture, Derek Bragg. And from the frying pan into the fire, (laughs) I know moose licenses have become a really contentious topic lately. The government moved to this new online application system. And uh, gosh, we've been hearing from people calling us and on open line for, for quite some time now. People having a lot of trouble with that. What's going on? So it's not a new system, though. It's the thing, Linda. Like, the system's been around for the last number of years, last six or eight years. We've had 77% of our applicants been using this system. A 
lot of the confusion this year is people just forgot their password. Would have emailed and said their, their password might be mom with a capital M, but they put a small M there, and then they get confused and they call out to us. We're in on about 2,000 calls a day. I think we got six, maybe eight staff members on in the corner brook offices dealing with this. This is going to be a way better system once everybody gets involved because it will eliminate any possibility for us for mistakes. You can imagine, for numbers of years, we would have stadium floors full of papers, of applications, because there's 90,000 people applying this province for moose license. That's, a, that's amazing to me, given our population of 500,000 and so many kids not eligible to aunt. We almost got everybody into the poll for a moose hunt. And so you can, once you do it, and I've been doing this for years, you can change your, 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 your decision to either advance your poll. You can say no or yes. And then you can go back once you're in the draw and say, I think I'm going to change the area. I'm not going to go area 23. I'm going to go area 28. So it's all things you can do. It, it's, it's very user-friendly once everyone is used to it. And I must say our staff has did an outstanding job in Cornerbrook of assisting people. I saw numerous emails from people thanking them, and, and one person got cut off, and our staff member called back. And uh, I guess we might as well put the number out. There's 637-2025 is the number to call. Or you can email wildlifelicense at gov.nl.ca. Both of these will get back to you as soon as possible. But we got another 28 days. I think on the 29th it closes. So we got another 28 days in which we can uh, accept and help people get to their license. So don't lose faith. Don't say I'm never going to apply again because it's very important to get into moose license draw. And what about those concerns that have been raised about delays and people getting their passwords, being told that they'll be uh, sent out through snail mail or not getting those busy signals and not being able to leave even leave a message? So we're going. We're committed. Like we, I talked to staff this morning. We're looking at putting a couple more operators to answer the calls. Uh, when you get in, you're in the queue, and while you're in the queue, you just have to wait then because you may be five minutes, depending how fast it is to get the other person to, or you may be an hour. But I, I encourage everyone. Once you get in the queue, you just gotta wait. But for those of people who use email, if you would email to our office, they'll send you a reset. And lots of time when you fill it out, it says forgot password. So it'll give you a prompt. It might be a question, say, like your cousin's first name or something that would trigger your memory of your password. Some people are not, not using that option. So just like we're, we're still there, like we're not going to hang up on you. We're, we're going to get this. We're going to get everybody in that possibly wants to get into the moose draw for this year. I know a, a big bone of contention for people in this province for years now, and in Labrador in particular, has been the poaching of caribou in Labrador. People coming in from across the, the border from Quebec, uh, taking caribou, even though we have a ban on, on caribou hunting because of dropping numbers. You got up in the House uh, of Assembly last month to provide an update on enforcement measures. What's happening there? So I met recently with the uh, ministers in Quebec. The minister responsible for, I think, was tourism would cover the wildlife and the enforcement. Uh, and, and, and our staff, we had a meeting. And our staff, like in Labrador, work with the Quebec staff. And I don't know if everybody realizes that. The issue lies 
is when you cross the provincial border. Like we use uh, our helicopter for enforcement because we are a long ways back from any any close communities. Uh, the people that's coming up from Quebec from the map I saw, they follow this beautiful big winding river. They got like 80 kilometers and they're up to the Labrador border. They camp on the Quebec side of the border. And when they cross into the border, they, they cross in, in a big group, and maybe 25 or 30, they're going to be towing, like, tarpaulins beyond their skidoos. That, like, so they make us our ability to, to drop down on them in an in a helicopter way more difficult than what it was years ago. Because they know right now, like, their hunt is funded by their, by their, by their group, but if they're caught... Their legal charges are their own. Their legal expenses are their own. So, but we did catch a few hunters of, of, of well, I'll say new, uh, Labrador hunters over this winter. We got two different groups, and uh, I know Travis, who's, a, who's the head uh, enforcement officer in Labrador, was on some time ago talking about that. I wouldn't want to say too much about that, except that we did we did uh, stop some people. There was some caribou confiscated, and uh, I know the charges are pending. What is the status of herds in Labrador right now? I guess we'll start with George's River. Well, they're all like they're all like it's depleted so bad. I don't have the actual numbers in front of me now. I I wish I did because it went something like seven hundred thousand down to like thirty thousand. It's it's amazing the drop in the in the number of caribou and and a lot of it is getting people to believe it. But um, I had the opportunity late earlier this this fall to drive or to fly over the Mealy Mountains. And we have collared caribou, so you would find like eight and ten air. We didn't find any big urge of caribou anywhere. So it's devastating because for for the people, who, the traditional people in the Labrador and the Labrador coast, this has been their cultural aunt for years and years and years. And if and if most is a big issue for the island side, I can only imagine what it means when that was your main food for your subsistence and it's no longer there. Oh, indeed. The, the cultural implications there are huge. Yeah. Um, and I know that the, the southern Labrador caribou are, are in real risk of being extirpated. That means, you know, um, yeah, you know dying out completely in, in locally, right? Yeah, I think it's one word. I may, I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, but it's a J-O-I-R, so I call it the Jory River herd. I, I mean, they're down to almost double digits. It's like they can't find very many. It's, they're almost on to extinction right now. It's sad, really. It's sad that 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 has gone to this to this extent, and people continue to poach. Any positive signs there at all in in terms of of the caribou in Labrador? I love to say yes, but right now there's no positive signs. I know the the the, the calving retention. We have wolves and we have black bears, and, and they're not really high. I mean, it'd be great that you could get up and see a retention of 50%. We're now we're close to that. Now we did do a uh, a small relocation project where we carried some caribou out to the Grey Islands after Northern Peninsula, and that herd actually doubled in size within a year. So we had 100% craft recruitment that survived. It was a good survival rate because years ago there was a bigger herd on the Grey Islands. So we're open to establish that to a point that there can be some sort of limits on on these islands. And, uh, of course, you have um, a, a caribou herd in your district on Fogo Island. 
Yes, I do. And, and, and strangely enough, or oddly enough, I was over last week and I didn't see them because they usually hang out around the, the school, the center down in the hospital, and it's like a traffic stop. Sometimes you need a, a traffic cop because when they take it in their mind, they're going to cross over to an hospital and, and, and munch on the grass over there. Like, you can drive in a tractor trailer, they're just going to come out through you, basically. It's really like my wife was with me one time and she was freaked out, said, They're going to jump over the car. And I said, Well, I hope not. But they were just coming up the highway on both sides of us. There is something about caribou, isn't there? They're magical animals. Well, the caribou and fog oil and they're swimmers. That's the other thing. Like, they're often seen swimming across the tickle. You, can, you may see them swimming to Change Islands or over to the Indian Islands. Like, they're, they're, they're known for their swimming ability, which is pretty unusual for a caribou just to jump out and go for a swim. Amazing stuff. Now, there's another exciting uh, aspect of your portfolio, and that's agriculture. And I know you're very excited to talk about that. We'll do so after this break. My guest today on On Target is Minister of Fisheries, Forestry, and Agriculture, Derek Bragg. We'll be back right after this. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. And my guest today on On Target is the Minister of Fisheries, Forestry, and Agriculture. And, of course, agriculture is an exciting and growing area of our local economy. What's going on? So agriculture, I got to tell you. And, 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 Linda, when you invited me for this call, I thought an hour was going to be what we're going to talk about. And I'm looking at it now, and I think you're going to get about halfway through my department. So that's pretty good. But in agriculture, believe it or not, there's over 6,500 people that work directly in the agri-food industry. Like, I was blown away by that. And dairy farms, like, we had the biggest dairy farm east of Montreal. I mean, the, the, the technology that's gone into to, to farming industry is, is it's amazing. I mean, it's almost comparable, I would think, to the fishing industry where years ago they, they worked so hard and it was so much that was actually the labor you did with your hands. But technology today is certainly up. Not to undermine and think that their job is easy, not for one moment. But uh, when you see a robot milking a cow, I can tell you that's pretty amazing. And apparently the cows love it. The cows, the cow, like the cow almost got a smile on his face. I got to tell you, because this land comes out and gives it a little treat from from a normal treat. It's almost like I'm looking at my puppy dog here now that was dying for a treat a few minutes ago. And the cows would line up and go in. And, and if they've been milked and coming back for another treat, there's a little machine that like gives them a little push one side, says, excuse me, not your turn. And the next one comes up. And then they got their own private private sitting room basically that they go in and get milk is it's absolutely is something that you must see if you ever go to a, a dairy farm it's amazing and i've been invited to go to one and i haven't been up yet because you know life is busy but uh i that is on my bucket list i gotta get up there and have a look at how all this works it's really quite amazing um any interesting areas of growth in particular in in agriculture something maybe we haven't done before so we did, I don't know if you would have followed the news last year, we did a big development over on the West Coast in the uh, Cormac and the Dare Lake area in which we opened up hundreds of acres for potato farms, basically, because we're open to reach our goal of 20%. And should these people, because we were a little late last year and they didn't really get their savings in on time, but I did go out, and I think one place was called Jumpers Brook. I might be wrong on that. It might have been Jennifer Brook. for something with a J, and I'm sorry for if I got it wrong for the farmers over there, but... Uh, it was amazing. They put, they plant one potato, and I went out and I pulled some with my hands, 
and you get an average of 10 potatoes back to every one that you plant. And each one of these potatoes, are, a lot of them were the size, and I have a Gatorade bottle on my table. A lot of them were like a, a size of a Gatorade bottle or a Kraft Dinner bottle, but they were really like good potatoes. I was so blown away by how, how fertile the soil was and how good it was given back to us. So we're pretty proud of that, and I'm hoping to go over this year. Last year with the house opening, I didn't get a chance to out with the seeding, but I'm hoping to go back this year and take part in the seeding because uh, there's great potential. There's great potential on the East Coast as well, but we're, that was the two newest developments we're on in the Deer Lake area. What are some of the biggest challenges facing agriculture in Newfoundland and Labrador? I think it's well known, you know, you just mentioned soil quality and that sort of thing and our, on our relatively short growing season, but uh, any particular challenges? So overall in the industry, here's what I think our biggest challenge is right now. It's finding the labor force to go to work for us. Uh, we're, we're finding it in our fish plants. We're finding it on our farms. Some of the farms you go on, you'll see a lot of uh, temporary farm workers I was out to a farm in central central Newfoundland where they had 10 or 11 Jamaican workers there, uh, harvesting turnip. Uh, as I said, they couldn't find the local people. So the challenge right now is definitely finding people to go to work on farms. Um, how about um, farms themselves, recruiting young farmers or keeping young farmers in the business? There are a few young farmers, again, industry-wide. Like, uh, we talk about the same thing in our fishery, and I hate to keep going back to the fishery because I know you, you took me off that. We couldn't find very many fishers under 30 years old. We could find a lot over 60, but not a lot under 30. And and in the farming industry, there's a lot of what I would say middle-aged people, like from in the 40, 45, and there's some older ones. But uh, there's a lot of, there's a, there's a good livelihood in the farming, but we need to get young farmers, we need to get young people in our industry in general. And it's more than just a job. It is a vocation. You are living it 24-7. 100%. There's a farmer, and I'm sure if he's listening right now, he's a, he's a beef farmer on the Avalon, and I visited him, and he said, you see that old camper over there? I slipped in that one all last winter waiting for the cows to calf. And he said, if one made a weird sound in the nighttime, I jumped out of bed. And his wife said, I can vouch for that because he only came home long enough to shower. And he just stayed in this old camper all winter or all like February and March waiting for, waiting for the cows to, to have a calf. I was That's commitment in my mind. Like That's three real people with a real commitment to the industry. And it's not always easy to find that sort of thing unless you are already somehow familiarized with, with the lifestyle and, and you love it. Uh, so is, is that some of the challenge in, in getting younger people involved? Oh, for sure. And I think, like, again, like all industries, I mean, if, if the parents were, were struggling, it's harder for them to encourage their kids to go into it. But the way, the way the industry has gotten now with modern technology and modern equipment, life is a lot easier for everybody in the industry. I'll never say it's easy because that would be so wrong because they're so worried. Early spring hurts those guys as much as the late spring. Same as ice would hurt people when it comes to uh, out on the ocean. So, you know, nature is such a big priority in farming. You can irrigate all you want, but if you had a, a season that continued to rain, you're going to have some bad crops at the end of the day. So it's a worry, but uh, i got to tell you, every farm that I've walked on, all I've been greeted was a handshake and a smile. And, and, I mean, that goes a long way when you go out and people just smile from ear to ear. Like, it makes you feel good. I mean, seriously, anybody who's got an opportunity to visit a farmer or help out a farmer in their area, 
by every means, reach out to them because I got to say I absolutely loved it. And I had some history years ago, uh, back in the 80s, I think it was, when my wife did nursing in, in Corner Brook. There was a farmer that did strawberries. I used to, to, to drop everybody off to the school, and I'd get out and I'd be planting strawberries or harvesting strawberries, and I absolutely loved it. And I was only a young fellow back then, a whippersnipper, but. Uh, you know, I can see, like, it's a job, when you're in it, you got to love it because you are, you're your own boss, you're outside, like, you you take the good and the bad weather. It's like, I've been there on rainy days and I've been there on sunny days, and it's the same thing. It's a smile and handshake. So, to me, that means a lot. It means, a, you know, happy farmer, happy lifestyle, and if you reap the rewards at the end of the year, you know, what can you ask for any better? It's better than living in a cement world, for sure. Indeed, a concrete jungle. Um, Derek, I might have to invite you back to talk about the rest of your portfolio. We haven't even touched on forestry yet. But no, or an aquaculture. We haven't looked at or that. Or aquaculture. Oh, my goodness. i got to invite you back. Um, Crownlands. Don't forget Crownlands because I'm surprised you didn't open the close of Crownlands. And Crownlands. Okay, all right. So, look, we only have about two and a half minutes left. If you had to highlight one single aspect of your portfolio, or maybe two. Oh, <laughs> what? Don't put me on the spot and make me say that because I <laughs> I absolutely, you know, it's, it's weird. I've never had a job I didn't like, and I would classify this as the same thing. I absolutely love dealing and doing work in this department and getting out and talking to people. I think it's vitally important. I'll be on a fish plant wharf. I'll be on a fisherman's wharf almost any day now in the spring. So don't be surprised in any nick of the woods in this province you see me walk out there. And up until Monday, nobody knew I was, and I really did like that. No one knew me, but Monday sort of put my face out there now. And, uh, you know, I almost got to grow a mustache back again and wear my glasses, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Go incognito. Exactly. Um, Derek, it's been a pleasure uh, speaking with you here today. Uh, thanks very much for accommodating us on this. And I'm, I'm going to be putting an email now into Aaron and Craig, who have been so accommodating to me as well. I sent them some late-night texts, and they were very good at getting back to me, uh, to line you up for another show, and we can talk about some of the other aspects of the portfolio that you haven't even touched on yet. So I really do appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. And if I could finish with one thing, because I know everybody is itching to get on the water, I just want everybody to be as safe as they possibly can be. In the beginning of the season, in the lobster fishery, whether it's in Newfoundland or it's in Nova Scotia or PEI, we hear such tragedies. I just want people to be very, very cautious. I know this is a risky job, but be as safe as you can be this season. Derek Bragg, thank you very much. Have a great weekend, and all the best to you. Bye. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. And we'll be back on Monday. I'm definitely going to have to invite it back because it's too much to talk about. Uh, When we come back, I'll have a show ready for Monday. So stay tuned for that. And thank you very much for listening, everyone. Have a great weekend.